Thinking like a boss requires taking care of your overall well-being, and that includes your mental health. There may be some of you who are sometimes finding yourselves feeling anxious or overwhelmed or battling depression. Well, you're not alone. Statistics estimate about 42% of Americans are seeking counseling for mental health professionals for common symptoms, such as feelings of hopelessness, prolonged sadness, anger, and anxiety, to name a few. My guest, Melanie Allen, is a licensed professional therapist. And during our interview, she'll discuss how to manage various mental health concerns and also share the importance of mental health awareness education in the Black community. Coming up on Think Like a Boss. Today, I am interviewing Melody Allen, licensed professional counselor and founder of PsychSync Coaching and Counseling. Thank you, Melody, for joining me today. How are you? I'm so good this morning. Thank you for having me. No problem. I appreciate you being here. So if you don't mind telling us a little bit about yourself, why did you decide to become an LPC? I decided to become an LPC because I'm fascinated with the field of psychology. Prior to actually getting my degree, I studied a lot of different, I would say, philosophies around self-improvement. And they were really informing my life and helping me in my own personal affairs. And I decided that I wanted to share them with the rest of the world. And so I branched off from doing different studies in various philosophies all over the world into having a more licensed practice and then integrating all of my studies. So I think the middle, the mental and the emotional body are fascinating. I think they are an amazing combination of how we create our lives, how we manifest things in life. And it's a very creative process. I think each conversation with the client is unique, as well as the interventions that I would recommend for them. And it's a field that allows me to be creative as well as intellectual. I'm so glad you took the time to answer that. And that is great. And I'm so glad that we're talking today, because obviously, as you know, we're in the midst of a, a global pandemic and so many people are coping with this new normal of working from home while simultaneously homeschooling children. Others are dealing with isolation, quarantine in their homes. Like me, I'm here isolated with my two dogs. <laughs> and then, um, you know, while we're being also concerned with personal health, mental health and, and the health of loved ones, you know, you've got people out there that are passing away. People can't uh, attend funerals. Uh, to their loved ones that are dying of this, um, this, this disease. So this could bring about a lot of stress and anxiety. What do you recommend people do to deal with stress as a result of, of the current climate that we're in with COVID-19? Well, I think COVID-19 brings up the topic of cluster stress, which is something we talk about a lot in psychotherapy. And cluster stress is is what it sounds like, you know, it's, a, it's an accumulation of many factors. For example, people are stressed about several things at the same time. So during COVID-19, people have financial concerns, personal health concerns, health concerns of family members, caretaking their children, as well as elderly community members, family members. So people have a lot of things on their mind. And so in any situation that's stressful, the best remedy is self-care. And in brief, that means engaging in any practice that brings you relaxation and joy and basically helps you to calm down the over aroused nervous system. Mm -hmm. 
So this could be burning candles, aromatherapy, maybe having some incense in your space, having a meal that you just love to eat, a hot bath, talking to friends, prayer, meditation, physical activity that could get some serotonin and endorphins moving through your system. All of those happy hormones that we talk about when we're engaging in either physical activity or sexuality. So self-care has to be something that we have in our life ongoing, but it becomes even more, more important that we have those types of practices in any type of stressful events. That is so true. I'm so glad you talked about that because this is more in tune with the way that I try to self-care. You know, um, I've done all of the above. <laughs> I have done all of the above with the hot baths and yes. the, the candles and the meals. You know, I treat myself. I've been trying to eat healthier and exercise because sure. they've been encouraging people to get out and walk. And, and you know, we've had some really nice weather in Houston recently. Really? But, um, you know, it's like you really do have to focus on taking care of yourself during this time and get out and not, you know, um, subject yourself to just sitting inside the house. Um, and that can create like panic attacks. And so obviously there are people out there that are for the first time maybe experiencing panic attacks because they're for the first time being told that they have to stay indoors. And not only that, there really is no escape. You know, like normally I would go to the movies or to the mall or to an amusement park or something like that, but all that's closed. Um, what do you recommend for people that are experiencing panic attacks for the first time or even for depression? Well, so panic attacks are a symptom of severe anxiety. That's when you're highly aroused and then your body just automatically creates these symptoms that look very much like you're having a heart attack. A lot mm. of people end up in the ER thinking they're having a heart attack and then they get all these EKGs and other scans and the doctor's like, no ma'am, or sir, you're having a panic attack. So a panic attack has symptoms where you could have shortness of breath, chest restrictions, your heart rate is beating really fast or racing. You could have various temperature changes, usually feeling more hot, but you could also feel cold. And you could just be extremely nervous and kind of feeling out of sorts and kind of having an out of body experience in a sense where you can't really collect yourself. So for some people, they need the help of medication because now their nervous system has totally kind of like gone off the rails, like it's out of whack, like their system is out of homeostasis and they need some medical help to kind of pull them back into some type of normalcy from their, you know, mental and emotional state. Other mm -hmm. people need to kind of go talk to somebody, go see a therapist or even their psychiatrist. The difference between a therapist and a psychiatrist is that a psychiatrist deals with medication management. So they will talk to you about your symptoms and give you a medicine that could potentially help. But a psychotherapist or a licensed professional counselor is going to talk to you. They're going to sit with you and hold your hand and kind of try to figure out what you're anxious about and try to figure out what your triggers are. So triggers are those things that make those panic attacks happen or flare up your anxiety. And it's important for people to know what those triggers are so they can stay away from them. They may have to stay away from certain people. They may have to stay away from crowds. They may have to say, hey, I can't look at you know, Facebook all day. I can't look at Instagram all day. I can't right. look at the news all day because the minute I turn on the news, I'm immediately in a panic or right. I can't breathe or 
I mean, I'm checking my bank account balance, you know, 20 times and then I go over and check my stocks and then I'm a mess. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, so, mm -hmm. so all of those things are happening. Stop talking about me. I really? know. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, I, I, I admit I've had those days and, you know, one of the things I've had to do was disconnect from Facebook because yes. Facebook is my friends and family. I know mm -hmm. all of the people on Facebook. And so when I see them posting things that, seems to me to be traumatic or stressful or upsetting it i you know take that in and it affects my emotion so i right. logged off of facebook as soon as this started for my own mental health and i think uh, quite a, a few other people that i talked to have done the same thing you know they've logged off of social media but then some of us go to social media to feel connected because we feel so out of whack um, with, um, you know, what's going on. So we feel like we're isolated and no one to talk to. So we turn to social media and, and you know, it's hard to escape it. Um, and I know that you touched on how social media and watching the news can contribute to anxiety. What can people do to tune out the noise? Like if you're not going to social media, what's something different that they can do? Well, I think in terms of social media, you really have to censor how much fearful and negative energy you're allowing into your physical and mental space. Mm -hmm. I think we really have to put some major right gates around our sensorium. So that's a part of our body that's seven feet out from ourselves to where it's like a bubble where we kind of have to guard what we are willing to let in and what we are willing to respond to. And we have to be hypervigilant about that. That's so so true. I think social media kind of gets a bad rap because on the one hand, it's great because it's a way we can feel connected through space and time. But on the other hand, I think it gets to be scapegoated for all of those shadow aspects of ourselves that we're not dealing with. So some people look at social media and it just becomes a mirror of what they're feeling inside. So somebody might feel like, oh my God, I just watched someone's workout videos and they're being so disciplined and they look so great and I'm gonna come out of like quarantine 20 pounds fatter and, and now they're in a whole emotional reaction around somebody else's post. Now, is that post put out by that exercise fanatic to make that person feel bad or do body shaming? No. But now the person who's a viewer has taken that in and that's a reflection of their transferring of their own issue onto that person's post. So it kind of gets scapegoated for stuff that we don't actually want to see sometimes in ourselves, right? Or right. someone has a great relationship and they're posting, you know, all of their pictures of their hugging their mate or all the stuff they're doing. And the other person is like, oh my God, they're bragging. They, you know. But it's not even about that. It's like, you know, it might be, but more importantly, the viewer is seeing how they're lonely or how they don't have someone. And so it's a mirror. And I think we have to put it all in its proper perspective. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, one of the things I've done with Instagram, which has been my choice of social media lately, is I've chosen purposefully to follow positive pages. Right. Um, any pages that have positive affirmations or people that are posting um, pretty pictures, you know, pictures of houses yeah. or cupcakes or cakes or flowers or anything, you know, and all the news, I deleted all the news because I just didn't want to see it. I want to have the control 
of turning on the news when I want to turn it on, watching yes. what I want to watch and then turning it off and not seeing it come through my feed on Instagram because you know, I feel like at this time, people have to consciously make decisions to help them make it through this and not right. have those triggers or at least to remove those triggers, I think right. is so important. Yeah, right. For sure. that is so good. Well, you know, we hear a lot in the news, speaking of news about the Black community being impacted by this virus more than others. And are you seeing an increase in Black Americans seeking therapy? And if not, what can be done to encourage Black Americans to seek treatment with a therapist? Well, in my practice, I see a majority of black clients, which I'm super, super excited about. Mm -hmm. So for me, black clients have been seeking out therapy in my practice for some time. So it's not just because of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. But I think more blacks are learning that therapy is not only for times of crisis, but it can be a tool for living a better, more fulfilling life. Yes. And that sometimes Therapy can be used to get life skills and tools so that we make better and informed choices. Mm -hmm. So I think black people are being more open-minded about seeking guidance outside of the auspices of church and religion. Mm -hmm. Even though religiosity can be helpful, some psychoeducation and blending the two of those together or either, you know, either one independently can be a great synergy. Like if you're coming to psychotherapy, some skills you can get might be having better boundaries. Like are your boundaries too rigid or are your boundaries too loose? And what does that really mean? And how do you navigate through crucial conversations and difficult relationships with that kind of knowledge, right? Or how do you really get in touch with yourself to figure out, you know, where do I see myself? What is really my trajectory? And have seen, having someone where you can bounce off ideas so you get more clarity in terms of where you see yourself going. So there are a lot of different places you could take therapy. Yeah, that's so true. And I'm glad to hear that, that more Black folks are going to see a therapist because it's you know, common for us. And I say us, you, you know, because myself and I see my family and friends who struggle with dealing with very difficult um, things that happen in life. And like you mentioned, they tend to pray it away or try to pray mm -hmm. it away. Right. And um, sometimes you need, you know, a professional to help you through that. So I'm, that's outstanding. I'm glad to hear that. Um, what about children? Do you recommend children see a therapist? I do. I really do. And the one thing that gives me pause when I say yes is that I find sometimes that a parent will bring a child to therapy and present the case that the child is the problem, right? And mm -hmm. in therapy, we call this the identified patient. But the identified patient is not necessarily the person creating the problem in the family. It's just the person that the family has identified as the problem, right? So sometimes the parent is bringing the child to therapy because maybe the child is not listening or maybe the child has a discipline problem or maybe the child is um, acting out. Just for example, it could be anything, but maybe those are like three areas that a parent might bring her child to therapy. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is, is that granted, yes, a child can have a diagnosis just like an adult, the child can have anxiety, depression, 
ADHD, social anxiety, but the child could also not be coping well with the overall family and parental dynamic. And there can be some stressors that actually is not a kid's issue, but is a parent's issue. So how are the parents communicating with that child? How are they listening and hearing that child's needs? How are they interacting as a couple, whether they are together or not? How smooth is the blended family exchange? All those things could be affecting the child's mental health and the child is acting out in ways that they look like a problem child and the, they are just responding to, to what they are sensing and feeling and they don't have the language that adults have where we can say, hey mom, I'm not comfortable going to dad. I don't like his new girlfriend. Or, hey mom, when you and dad, you know, don't talk when you're exchanging me when it's time for visitation, it makes me uncomfortable for the rest of the visit because I feel like I'm in the middle. Or mm -hmm. mom, I feel like you favor my sister and then when it's time to get in trouble, you always pick on me. Like they don't have that kind of complex um, emotional and vocal expressiveness just yet. So it right. gets a little tricky. So that's why sometimes, yes, a therapy can be, a therapy session, excuse me, can be for the kid and it can just be, yeah, the kid's having problems. But a lot of times there could also be a need for a family session because the problem is bigger. It's a systemic problem. Right. That was my next question. I'm glad you hit on that because yeah. I was wondering what is, you know, obviously family therapy sessions can be very beneficial. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, I have never really seen that dynamic. You always think of therapy as a one-on-one. -on -one. What about the family therapy sessions? Yeah, I really like family therapy sessions for that same reason, because when you see the entire family, you kind of see where problems are arising at a more of a root cause level. And if you think about it, a family is a group of people. So we have to look at group dynamics, herd mentalities, all of these type of things that inform any type of small or big group. It also happens right in the workplace, but we're just talking about the family. So like I said before, family systems play a role in how each member of the family is viewed and how they all interact and how this ultimately interferes with the mental and emotional health of the group as well as each individual in the group. Like for example, so many ways that families interact have to be adjusted. So within a family, there are many subsets and I'm not gonna name all of them, but just to give you a few for an example, you could have a mother, father, subset. So that's where the kids are viewing their parents in this hierarchical system, you know, where there's mother, father, and then there's child, right? Mm -hmm. Or there could be mother and child. There could be father and child. Then there may be husband and wife has, they're just taken out of the family and just their interaction as husband and wife. They could have husband and wife with kids, or they could just have husband and wife. It could right. be mm -hmm. husband in response to his own family of origin issues by that i mean how is he handling his marriage based on how his mother and father handled their marriage and is that good or is that bad and how does it need to shift the same way for the wife and her family of origin issues then we have parenting styles so one person may believe in corporal punishment and another one might believe in like rewards and punishment systems and true 
right? And then there are also so many dynamics that can, can come into play. So when you get a chance to see the whole family, you can kind of see how all the members of the family might be contributing to this system. And then it becomes no more of that, oh, they're the black sheep, right? So mm -hmm. for us, the identified patient is the black sheep. But what we know about black sheep in history and mythology is that the black sheep is always holding some piece of information that they are fully and lively expressing and under great pain at times, but it's showing the shadow of the family. It's showing what the family hasn't seen. They're not willing to look at, they're not willing to acknowledge, and it serves a purpose. But now we don't get a chance to say, oh, they're the black sheep. We have to say, okay, they're the black sheep, but they're really exposing how I didn't listen to them or how I didn't see them or how we're not dealing with this as a family. You understand what I'm saying? It, it becomes right. a bigger picture. Yeah, that's so true. Well, I'm glad you touched on that because I'm sure someone listening right now is, is really going to be able to identify with that. Right. Um, let me ask you this. I mean, do you think this pandemic, just kind of going back to coronavirus, is it forcing people to examine their emotions and mental health? I mean, I would think it is. I mean, are you seeing that from a licensed, you know, from a, a therapist per perspective? I do. I think people are alone with their thoughts and they're alone with family members. And I think they're examining all their relationships, meaning their relationship with themselves, their relationships to the people in their inner and outer circles. And I think COVID-19, though it's scary and it's a hardship for many people, it slowed us down and mm -hmm. given us some time to reflect and reconnect. And if a person is single or alone, they're having to confront loneliness, which could lead you know, for them to make a major call for life changes once the quarantine is lifted, meaning they've got to get some friends, they've got to get a love interest, you know, they've got to be more social, or they have to figure out why they've taken themselves into isolation and work through that, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And for some people that inspires change, but for other people that might inspire grief and all of it can be worked out during this time while all of this stuff is like really visible and coming to the surface, right? Where before, where we were busy, 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 we could mask it. We can't mask it right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I usually mask mine with uh, retail therapy. <laughs> the stores are closed. Right. It's no good right now. I'm telling you. Or a glass I'm, of wine. <laughs> I know. You know, and I don't, I'll partake in a glass of wine, yes. maybe a margarita here and there, but it's yes. not the same as sitting in a restaurant and right? I have the, and you know, the distraction. <laughs> right. You know, I don't have those distractions anymore, people watching. So it's been one of those things, you know, I think we're all coping in different ways. Um, so, you know, th this podcast is called Think Like a Boss. And so my target audience is professionals that are, you know, maybe business owners or people that are looking to, to, to rise up in corporations and leadership roles. So, you know, one of the things I always thought about as an HR professional is that it would be so helpful to have a mental health specialist on site at some businesses because, you know, in HR, a lot of times people will come to the HR office to talk to the HR person about their personal problems. And we're not always equipped to deal with that. I can listen, I can take notes, but, you know, I'm not a therapist. So, what are your thoughts about mental health specialists being available on site at businesses and companies so employees can have direct access to a specialist? I think some companies have a model where they have in-house EAP. So those are people on site 
that mm-hmm. an employee can talk to. And then other companies have people like me and other therapists where we work for the third party EAP and that person would have to go to HR and then get a referral to the EAP and then they can access those sessions. So I think for most people, a mental health specialist on site is a good idea. One, for the company's own liability, uh, as well as for crisis and immediate responses for some employees that might be having an issue on site and they need someone to talk to, someone to confide in so they can go on with their normal day. Right. For other people, I think it gets a little bit tricky because sometimes the on-site EAP is integrated into the regular workforce of the regular employees. So there's not this separation. So then it's almost like your therapist is also your coworker. And there could be fears of breach of confidentiality, maybe malicious, maybe not malicious. Um, And then the potential for dual relationships, which is kind of strange too. And that dual, dual relationship is what I was saying where, you know, your therapist can also be your coworker or you go to see the EAP person, but then later you see them in the lunchroom and it's a little awkward because you've kind of been naked and vulnerable with them and then they're in your setting and sometimes it can be uncomfortable, but not always. Right. Yeah, so I, yeah. I just think if they're on site, I think that person has to be, you know, really clear on what their job is and know really good boundaries and how to separate themselves from the, from the client's personal space should they need it. Some clients want it. They like to feel integrated. Like, for example, I think probably preachers and priests are probably those people that you would confide in, but they're also part of the community, right? And they kind of do it seamlessly and you don't feel strange. So there's probably ways that it could be worked out, but I think it's definitely something that should go on the table for a lot of these companies and give people options. That's a good correlation. I didn't think about that, priests and preachers, Mm because people do tend to go to them and share everything. And the last thing in the back of their mind is probably my preacher is going to go tell all my business. That's the last thing that they're thinking about. Yeah, you're not thinking about it. Yeah. And you just, you know, feel like, you know, you've established a trust. And I guess if you don't hear throughout the church that the preacher's talking, (laughs) you feel that. And so you kind of have to build up that relationship so everybody understands, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, that's so true. I'm so glad you touched on that. I mean, and if you're having a, a, uh, what do you call it? As we do in the Catholic church, a vodka or a fish fry. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> or a bingo you, night, right? That's you, right. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't go and sit like at the furthest corner of the room. You might put your chair right next to them and it wouldn't be a problem. It wouldn't be a violation. That's right. That is so true. Too funny. Well, I got just one last question for you, and I think it's an important one. You know, some people feel like therapy sessions can be costly. Is it an option for people to use their insurance plan for therapy sessions? And do you think it's reasonably, you know, priced for people? I mean, obviously, if you're talking about mental health, you should, it's something you should take the time to invest in. But what are your thoughts about that? Well, you would have to look at finding a therapist. Some therapists take insurance, some don't. And that's up to each individual therapist's choice of how they run their business. Mm -hmm. So some ways that therapy can be affordable is one, you can find a person that's in network with your insurance plan and pay your co-pays, which based on your plan, if you have a higher or low deductible, your copay will be different. So if you have, you know, a low copay, that would be great. But you know, your copay can range from anywhere from probably, generally speaking, maybe $15 to about let's say $60, somewhere in that range, generally speaking. 
So that's affordable compared to maybe some therapists where their starting rate is like 150 and up. There's a range. Mm -hmm. The other way you can access services is to find out if your company offers EAP benefits, which are employment assistance professional programs. And those are programs that large companies and medium-sized companies put money into third-party contractors a conglomeration of third-party contractors, and they select therapists to be on their panel. So I'm on a lot of EAPs, a lot of other therapists on a lot of these panels, and your company will pay for you to have zero to eight sessions in that network of therapists, and then you would pick from that pool of therapists. There are also community hotlines that people can talk to. There are ones for postpartum stress, there are ones for suicide, and many others. So there are ways that you may be able to access this type of information that is not cost prohibitive. That's so true. Well, I'm glad you touched on it because I think that's something that I want the audience to know that they, you know, to not think about barriers, but to, right. to think about how it's accessible to see someone, to talk to someone, to get the help that you need. So very, very good information. Well, thank you so much um, for your time, your insightfulness. I know that everything that you shared is going to be so helpful to my listeners. And um, I can't let you go without asking, how can people find you? You can find me by calling my direct line, which is 832-338-9971. If I don't answer, I'm with a client, but you can leave a message on my confidential voicemail. Also, you can go to my website and read more about me and my practice and also make an appointment. And that is www.psycheseekcounseling, spelled P-S-Y-C-H-E-S-Y-N-C, counseling, C-O-U-N-S-E-L-I-N-G.com. And there are buttons on just about every page where you can schedule and then follow the prompts. Awesome. Well, thank you, Melody. I'm going to also put a link to her website on the uh, Think Like a I'm sorry, the Christy Inc. Instagram page. So you'll be able to find her and click on that, and hopefully, it'll make it a little bit easier. Thank you so much. I know you are a busy person right now, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and to the Think Like a Boss audience. You have a good day today. Thank you for having me. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in. You can find out more information about me at www.christyinc.com or on social media on Instagram at the Christy Inc or Facebook at Christy Inc. See you next time.